technical difficulties on the way, but we're doing well. How many of you guys enjoyed the worship? Okay, let's give it a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. So you're going to notice that during worship, um, some of us, you know, raise our hands. Some of us close our eyes. Um, you may see somebody crying, you know, one time. and, and uh, But I want you to know that that's how we human beings, you know, react before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, I figured that, I, I was thinking, you know, the other day, where does raising your hands come from? Because, you know, we, I raise my hands sometimes, and, and I'm like, why, why am I doing that? You know, I'm just doing it. But I was thinking that when, I don't know if anyone has ever been arrested here before. You don't have to raise your hand. But, of course, you know, when the police, you know, tell somebody, raise your hands. And the person has to raise their hands. If you don't do it, uh, it could be a little dangerous. So that is a sign, raising your hands is a sign of surrender. When you raise your hands before a police officer, you are saying, I'm, I'm not armed. I'm not a danger. Here I am, completely surrendered to your authority. And that's what we mean, you know, when we raise our hands in church, we are saying the same thing to God. Lord. I surrender to you all. So today, um, I want to talk uh, to you about the cause of comparison. Uh, the last week, you know, we, we discussed a few things. Um, but I want to do like a little game during the message, and I need your help for this. So when I say, Lord, I want this side to look at them and say, what about him? And then when they say, what about him, you guys are going to see them, and you guys are going to say, what is that to you? Okay? So let's practice. Ready? Lord. Okay, let's do it one more time. You're doing a great job. Lord. Don't look at me. As soon as they say it, you know, you, what is that to you? All right. Awesome. So just a little recap, you know, from, from last Sunday, uh, I was sharing about how one-third of Americans in the United States, 300 million people do not feel satisfied with their lives. That is a big number. Uh, I also share with you that Jesus, in the chapter that we have been reading in, in John 21, Jesus was probably dealing with two different issues, you know, in the life of the Apostle Peter. Remember that in the eyes of God, what happens in you is more important than what happens to you. God is concerned with your health. God is concerned with your family issues. God is concerned with any situations that are going on in your life but his priority is what is happening inside your heart that is the main priority even Jesus said one time do not fear those who kill the body fear the one who kills the soul because God cares about what's going on inside of us so it may be in this chapter that you know maybe Jesus was dealing with those two different issues uh, in the Apostle Peter. 
Um, and I want to read the same verses that we read last week because we are studying, you know, a little bit about comparisons. And John chapter 21, verse 18 to 23, uh, that chapter starts with a very nice conversation between Jesus and Peter. So Jesus is walking with Peter, you know, having a conversation. And when Jesus and Peter are walking and having that conversation, John, he was behind Jesus and Peter, I think, wanted to be a part of the conversation. And as Jesus and Peter keep walking, so does Peter, uh, John. He continues walking, maybe because he wants to hear the conversation. He wants to be a part of it. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And, Jesus said, uh, and Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you, of course. Then Jesus says, ask again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, okay, if you love me, feed my sheep. And the third time, uh, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? And Peter, you know, gets a little disappointed and said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Why do you keep asking me, you know, the same question? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. So at that time, the conversation that they're having uh, changes to a little different topic in verse 18 to 23. And Jesus starts telling Peter the following. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, at the end of your life, um, when you are old, you will be stretched out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Please pay attention that Peter and Jesus and the early church did not see Peter's death as a tragedy. They did not see it as, oh my gosh, you know, Peter, uh, God didn't rescue him. No, for, for the disciples, actually dying for Jesus was an honor. But in the beginning, Peter, he was afraid of death, and that's probably the reason why he denied Jesus three times. So at this time, after the resurrection, Peter was a little bit more, you know, courageous. He, he, was, uh, he was very brave. So that was probably not the issue that Jesus was dealing with him because the fear of death did not exist in, in Peter anymore. But Jesus, you know, uh, prophesied that this was going to happen to Peter. But this is what probably Jesus was talking about, the issue of comparison. Because from verse 20, Bible says that Peter turned and saw that disciple who Jesus loved was following them. This is this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. But he only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So we were talking last week about how sometimes 
if we are not careful when we are comparing our lives to other people or the way we are or the way we look or the things that we have, sometimes we can fall into two different categories. Number one, you can feel inferior or you could probably feel superior. And I'm not talking about, you know, imitating good habits from other people because I love self-development. I love self-growth. It's one of my passions in my life. As a matter of fact, someday I would like somebody to teach, you know, Napoleon Hill here in the church. It's an awesome, awesome book that talks about faith and how to develop yourself more, you know, in life. But sometimes when we compare each other or when we compare the lives uh, that other people um, are comparing, we, it's very dangerous because we can fall into two different categories. When you compare yourself to someone, you may feel inferior. You may feel that you are doing something wrong, that maybe that is the reason why it's not blessing you, or maybe because you're not offering, giving offerings enough. Maybe you're not coming to church enough. Or maybe you're not involved enough. And then this feeling comes, you know, from the enemy that maybe there is something wrong with you. And that's why you are not at the level where other people are, especially if you're been fighting for a goal that you have had for a long time. But it's also very dangerous for people who can feel superior when they compare to others. Sometimes, especially, you know, when we look at the New Testament, uh, there were a lot of examples of the Pharisees uh, saying, Jesus, why, why is this prostitute, you know, touching your feet? Or why are you talking to this man? Why are you talking, you know, to that tax collector? So there was no compassion in a lot of people. They would see people who were less spiritual as being on a different level, on a different side, and therefore, you know, they felt maybe that, that they were in a superior level, and that's why they wouldn't even talk to people. So we also talk about when we compare ourselves to others, we have to be careful because the enemy can bring resentment in our lives to God. Remember when Adam and Eve, you know, they were um, at the garden, uh, the serpent came to Eva and said, oh, so, so God has said that you cannot eat from this fruit. And Eva said, yeah, God has said that because if we do it, we're going to die. And the enemy said, oh, no, 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 you are not going to die. God knows that if you eat that fruit, you are going to become like God and you will know the difference between good and bad. And you know the story. So the enemy sometimes tries to Bring that doubt into your life that maybe um, you're not doing well because there is something wrong with you. So we have to be careful with that because that can grow into resentment towards God. And sometimes it can also produce resentment towards other people because sometimes, you know, we see that other people are accomplishing their goals and, you know, their dreams. And then we've been fighting, you know, for this goal and we haven't reached it yet. And it could be dangerous, you know, if we are comparing ourselves to others. So we need to focus on the plan that God has for your life and my life. But today, I want to talk to you a little bit about the cause of comparison. Why do we compare to others? And there's a good point right here, number one, because we do not understand what the plan of God is for our lives. We lack understanding of what God made us to be. See, God has a plan for your life. You, I think if 
we will see a picture through the eyes of God of the things that God wants to do in your life, you will be super amazed. You will be incredibly shocked. You know, this last Thursday, um, we were, we have a nice breaker, you know, before the life group. And we pick a question, and the question that was picked, you know, this last Thursday was, what is something about you that will, be, that will surprise us to know about you? And one of the things, you know, that I share, you know, with the group was, um, well, it took me two years to learn English. When I was 17 years old, I didn't speak any English. I only spoke Spanish. As a matter of fact, did you know that I used to get D's in English? And I hated it because there are so many exceptions in the language. And I was like, English is backwards. Why do they say white house instead of saying house white? Why? You know, those of you who know the comparison, you know that, of course, you know, I didn't understand anything about the language. But then when I started to feel the calling to come to the United States, I didn't come here because I wanted to be rich or have money. I came here because I wanted to preach the gospel of Jesus. And I remember when I was in my church and I would ask the people, you know, in, in missions convention, hey, I want everybody help me pray for the United States. Even when I was a little kid, you will be surprised. I will pray for President Ronald Reagan. Then I started uh, praying for President Bush. Then President Clinton. And, and I kept going and people didn't understand why I was doing that. And I, I remember people telling me, you're never going to go to the United States. That is not the will of God. Because if you want to be a missionary, you have to go to Africa. That's where people need the gospel. And people will say, you don't even speak English. Look, you hardly speak Spanish. But it took me two years, you know, to learn the language when God gave me the passion. And right now, if you, 15 years ago, if you would have gone to me and say, no, maybe, actually 20 years ago. Don't do more math. Let's just leave it right there. But over 20 years ago, if you would have gone to me and you would have said, Franklin, you know, uh, you're going to go to the United States. You're going to be a missionary. You're going to meet people from India. Uh, in El Salvador, there's no Indian restaurants. You're going to eat Indian food. You're going to eat uh, burritos. You're going to eat enchiladas. Uh, you will meet somebody from, or people, you know, from Greece. Uh, I would have tell you <laughs> that's impossible. That's never going to happen. Look, look where I am. Look what I do. Where are the resources? Where, where is it going to come from? But you know what? And I used to compare myself to other pastor kids who will travel all over the world because their parents have such big churches. So they have the money to send their kids to mission trips to Japan, Korea, Russia, Australia. And thank God social media was not back then. So because social media can make you not, your life a little bit more miserable if you're just looking pictures of, of people, you know, on vacations, you know, somewhere else. But... I decided to believe in God. And you know what? Sometimes we start comparing to each other because we don't think God is going to do great things in our lives. You are underestimating the promises of God. You feel like where you are right now is where you deserve to be. But that is not where you deserve to be. You deserve to be in a better place. But sometimes um, if we don't focus on the plan that God has for our lives, 
then we start comparing or we can build, you know, that resentment and then it could be a little dangerous. Do you know that even churches compare to each other? There, there's even people, I've heard people saying, you know, that church doesn't grow uh, because uh, maybe there's something wrong with it. Did you know that Jeremiah preached the gospel of God for 40 years and not even one person got saved? Did you know that Jeremiah, God gave him great promises in chapter 1, and God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're going to preach against kings and armies and soldiers, and thousands of soldiers are going to come in horses, and the noise of the horses is going to scare you, but I am with you. I will lift you up, and I'll give you power and authority. Forty years preaching about God, and not one person got saved. And sometimes people say, oh, that's a small church because there's something wrong with it. You are wrong. I mean, not you, but those people are wrong. Because that's not the way it works. The plan of God is different for everybody. So we cannot be comparing ourselves, you know, to other people or other churches. We got to focus on what God has for our lives. God has great things for our church here in Agape. I see it. Life group, you know, is going well. The support group, you know, is going well. Uh, services, you know, are going great. Um, a lot of you I've seen take a lot of vacation, but that's okay. Uh, I trust you that, you know, wherever you are, you're also, you know, glorifying God. But let's be careful because the apostle Peter, he said, Lord, but, okay, I'm, I'm going to die. And if you read the second chapter of Second Peter, Peter is writing the letter as he is going to Rome where he is going to be crucified. And in chapter 2, Peter says, um, I want to encourage you. I am on my way to Rome where the Lord already made it clear to me how my end is going to be. But I want to encourage you to believe in him. I want to encourage you to believe in your calling. I want to encourage you to believe in the purpose, you know, that God has for your life. So purpose. As we close our eyes today, um, I want to encourage you today, wherever you are in your life, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for this church. Don't stop believing you don't know what God can do in five years from now, ten years from now. God can change it like this. But just like the Apostle Peter said in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, believe in the, in, in the priesthood of God. Believe in the calling that God has for your life. Believe why he called you. Believe that he's going to use you. Believe that no matter where you are in life, God can use you, lift you up because his purpose is great. And that's what I want you to believe. I don't want you to quit on the Lord. Don't give up. Don't stop believing. Believe in his purpose. Father, I thank you today, Lord God, for just this awesome opportunity we have to be here together. Lord, um, anybody here, Lord God, in this place who maybe does not understand how great your plan is for their life. I pray right now, Lord God, that you... Touch their hearts because, Lord, you have a place for everyone, not only in this world, but in this church. You have a plan for agape, Lord God, 
There's people here, Lord God, that have supported this ministry and did not let it die, Lord God. And I thank you for them, Lord God. I thank you for their support. But I pray today, Lord God, that as we continue to grow, that we will not look at the success maybe the, with resentment that other people are having, but we will thank you for the success of others as we keep being humble, Lord God, working, serving you, and waiting for the plan that you have for our lives. Lord, whatever the state is, the stage where we are in life, I pray right now, Lord God, that we will not give up in the purpose that you have for us. I pray that we will keep believing. I pray, Lord God, that we look up to you and wherever we are in life, that we believe, Lord God, what Peter says when he was going to Rome, believe in the priesthood, believe in your calling, believe in everything that God has called you to be, believe in your potential, believe in what God can do through you, in your family, in your life, in this community. I thank you for this time, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.